Handle on the News. Handle on the News! I, I want to be very candid here. I'm not yes. that interested in this. No? I'm not interested in... Bill Handle. At all. That doesn't interest me one bit. And now, here's Bill Handel. KFI Handel here on a, oh, thank you, my crispy sandwich on a baguette, of course. Okay, uh, hello, everybody. Friday, uh, June 8th, and uh, oh, broke this, no, the uh, suicide story this morning, Anthony Bourdain. I heard it coming in. When did that story actually break? Uh, Literally like 4.30. Oh, so it did break this morning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So anyway, obviously we're going to talk a lot about Anthony Bourdain. And when Neil does Foodie Friday, he interviewed Anthony Bourdain. So uh, I'm going to get uh, his take on that interview, obviously. And uh, maybe if uh, it's archived, uh, maybe we we don't know if we can get something uh, about that. All right. In the meantime, uh, hello to the crowd. Amy King in for... Uh, Jennifer Jones Lee. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Amy. Uh, I have no idea where uh, Jennifer is. She went up north for something. They are. This is okay to say, right? Sure. They're moving. Oh, okay. They're, they're moving from one house to another. So she's going to have a whole weekend of lugging boxes. She's been doing that for a while now. There's lots yeah, it's of getting prepared. And... But this yeah. is this is the go weekend. Why do you think? Uh, why do you think God invented moving companies? What is wrong with you people? You've got a point. I, after moving and moving and moving and like getting all of your friends to help you, I hired movers for the first time. Yeah. And I went, I am never moving myself again. Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't even, well, boxing on your own is, uh, is, is something that most people do. I mean, having moving companies box for you is, that's insanity. I mean, that is hideously uh, expensive. So, uh, when the last time we moved, uh, of course the moving company came, but we boxed, uh, well, actually we, I told Mar- Meaning Marjorie. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I said, why don't you put in that box? And what do you think of that were box? The, were the kids old enough to help at that point? Or no, 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 not even close. All right. Uh, there is, uh, the, uh, lovely Wayne Resnick. Here I am. Alex is here and, uh, there's John. Uh, good morning, John. And, uh, what else? Uh, that's it. That's it. I think Morgan's coming back on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Tuesday, so I can uh, say hello to her arm. Uh, I've gotten used to saying hello to arms. Alex, uh, your arm was part of this show for how long? Uh, about a year. About a year. I was an intern. And Alex brought the rest of her body connected to her arm right here inside. Okay, uh, let's do it, guys. Lead story. Richard Corey went home last night and put a bullet through his head. And uh, that is uh, a song that immediately came to mind. Simon Garfunkel's Richard Corey. Uh, a guy who had everything, who was well-liked, was wealthy, and one day he comes home and puts a bullet through his head. Uh, Anthony Bourdain uh, is a story, except for the bullet part. And uh, it's a story that's going to explode today. already has. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how fast the information comes out. Because with Kate Spade earlier this week, everybody was like, what happened? Everything was so great. And then like a day later, we're like, "Eh, things weren't so great. Yeah, and uh, 7 o'clock, I'm talking about the rise of suicides. The stats are stunning. And anyway, Anthony Bourdain, I was a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain ever since he uh, wrote Kitchen Confidential. I don't know if you ever read that book. Phenomenal book. And uh, the, the guy is a formally trained chef. Uh, he uh, regretted 
not having gone up in the world of uh, the cul- in the culinary world. I mean, he gave it up and regretted it, saying he I mean, he was a world class chef. I mean, he could have been in the Juan Andres, uh, uh, Mario Batelli, without, uh, of course, uh, abusing a bunch of women, but. Uh, Wolfgang Puck in that he could have been that category and he gave it up and regretted it. And all he did was become uh, one of the world's uh, most famous people in the food industry and a zillionaire and could go around the world, which he did uh, getting plastered at in every single city, uh, eating the food and having the time of his life. Hey, what can I tell you? We're going to do more about a suicide uh, later on. And that is by far the biggest trending story. Okay, the second most important story is World War III has just been declared. But that's not nearly as important as Anthony Bourdain, right? Uh, It hasn't, by the way. Just kidding, right? Okay. Would you? Here's the way it works, okay? Uh, Oh, we're doing handling. No, I throw it I throw it to you he's sitting there pointing at me he's like smiling going okay your turn Amy yeah okay, uh, it's not Amy, your turn uh, it's not your turn to kill yourself it's your turn to uh, no. what no I'm sorry Amy misunderstood okay Anthony Bourdain and I throw it to her uh well except the, on my paperwork this says there's a W here uh no uh, mine says mine shows an a yeah an a are a. we talking about Gabriel Fernandez no, no. story two. What number is on the story? Well, Bill already at? mentioned the suicide I know, but rates. You, yeah, no, but you give statistics. It's a well-oiled machine. It's statistics you give. U.S. suicide rates have All risen right, I'll 25% guys on Monday. <laughs> 1999. Amy, we're a rough crowd here, you notice? Considering we're starting the show with this, oh, we're going to have a good time with Amy today. Okay, you were saying... Yes, that uh, the problem is getting worse. Suicide rates have gone up in the U.S. 25% since 1999. That is stunning. That is absolutely stunning. We're going to do more. You're about- talking about all this. So are you going to reveal some of which states had the biggest oh, increases yeah. Yeah, later? We'll do, we'll do that later. And it's uh, uh, it's it's a tough one. And, of course, uh, the spate uh, or the spade of suicides uh, that has uh, happened recently, and we'll go through that. All right, we'll be back with more Handle on the news. All right. KFI Handle here on a Friday with uh, the morning crew. Coming up uh, a week from tomorrow, it's a Law Day 2018 at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana from 9 to 2 o'clock. We're going to have over 100 legal experts from HandleOnTheLaw.com giving you good free legal advice in virtually every field of the law. Talk to one lawyer, talk to a dozen if you want. And I'll be broadcasting Handle on the Law live there from 9 to 11. There'll be free seminars, win prizes throughout the day. Go to uh, KFIAM640.com. The keyword is Law Day. Sponsored by the Bowers Museum. During Law Day, get a $5 discount to visit all of the exhibits at the Bowers. That's Law Day, Saturday, June 16th, 9 to 2, at the Bowers in Santa Ana. All right, back we go. More handle on the news. Amy King in for Jennifer today. Wayne Resnick in for Wayne Resnick today. And uh, me. Uh, The mother of Gabriel Fernandez and her boyfriend were sentenced yesterday. 
She got life. She, she got death. That was no surprise. We all knew that this was coming. Uh, the only thing that surprised me, and not in a bad way, is the judge said, I don't know if it's in this story, one of the things he said to them, in, in, including the things you would expect, like this is the most horrible thing that I've seen in my 20 years on the bench, he said, I, I never say this, but I hope you are awakened in the middle of the night by the thoughts of what you did to this boy and that it haunts you. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Right. No, you did. And this is a judge who doesn't talk at these sentences. Yeah, he's not known no. for expansive speeches. Yeah, but it's uh, th- this, this This affected everybody so deeply. The DA, when doing uh, his prank, uh, uh, conf- uh, press conference afterwards, he was crying. And uh, this was a very, very tough case. I mean, these people are complete animals. I mean, just uh, to a, to a well, level. He, and he said, you're worse than animals because yeah. animals know how to take care of their yeah. young. It's it's one of those things where I cannot wrap my head around this at all, uh, particularly in the case of uh, Pearl, uh, uh, Gabriel's mom. Uh, I sort of can understand the boyfriend who has no connection, uh, stepdad kind of thing. Those people are one step removed. Uh, but a mom not protecting her own is it's it's beyond comprehension. It truly is. Uh, let's move on to something that's not quite as upsetting, although I bet the ACLU doesn't like it. Uh, they're going to start housing immigrant detain- uh, detainees at regular old federal prisons. Yeah, And the big one is going to be right up here at Victorville. Right. Uh, a thousand immigration yeah. detainees will be at the Victorville Federal Prison in three cells. I mean, they're really <laughs> going to uh, they're going to be crowding these people for sure. They already have plenty of inmates up there. It is going to be very crowded. Uh, and it's part of, you know, the zero tolerance policy on prosecuting uh, border crossers means you got to find a place to house these people. And ICE doesn't have enough space in their detention facilities or immigration uh, judges or attorneys or in just insert name of everybody who works in this field for the government. So if they're housed in then federal prisons, would they use attorneys near where they are then to they don't have attorneys. They're not entitled to attorneys. Oh. What they do is you have uh, these uh, activist groups that provide uh, pro bono attorneys, and they are so overwhelmed that it's all. I, I don't even know how someone gets an attorney versus the person next to that person, next to him or her, get an attorney. Is it a lottery? Uh, do they look at the cases that are the most egregious, families who have been separated for months, I mean, it could be years that people are separated. I think there are stories of a couple of years before their cases are heard. There's no right to a speedy trial, I don't think, when you're talking about a civil. Right, the deportation proceedings. Uh, um, A lot of these people, though, are being charged with a misdemeanor. So they'll they'll have lawyers and they have speedy trial rights, but... It's still, the system's completely overwhelmed by this. Yeah, and and as a matter of fact, Amy, I'm going to jump you to this because, well, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the ACLU has lawyers, and those lawyers have successfully argued about a lawsuit that challenges the Trump administration over family separation. The judge rules, you can do it. Well, you can go forward with it. Uh, The judge has not ruled on the merits of this, but there's enough there uh, what happens is in these cases, uh, the uh, defense, in this case the government, is arguing there's no case there. I want it dismissed or we want it dismissed. 
And the judges say, especially if there's an issue of fact, he said, she said, uh, this, uh, you shouldn't put us in, you should. Uh, if, if, if there's an absolute right to put people in and there doesn't seem to be a constitutional issue, judge dismisses it. Summary judgment. But there's enough here. And the judges are very careful. Well, no, I'm not, I'm, let me change that around. Uh, judges, when granting these kinds of motions or denying, in this case, the motion, quite often say it looks like there is merit to your case. And therefore, I'm either I'm going to go ahead and let it go through. And then does the federal government argue, well, if you didn't cross the border, we wouldn't have separated it. So you created the situation for yourself. Sure. Sure, that's one of the arguments that are going to yeah. be used. There's, but there's two things here that are. It's not as simple as um, I just portrayed it. You're not allowed. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not as simple as if you don't want to get prosecuted and separate from your children, don't cross the border. The reason the ACLU is suing is apparently they're they're taking people for criminal prosecution for illegal entry who are simply presenting themselves at a port of entry and asking for asylum, and the ACLU is saying. You can't criminally prosecute those people because they, have the, they haven't they have not violated the law at that point at that point that you're taking them in. So that's kind of the are they doing the that or simply here. denying it? Are well, they simply saying you're not coming in? We are turning down your claim for asylum at the border with Border Patrol. And then someone comes in illegally. I don't know what's really happening. Yeah. I know the ACLU is accusing the government of doing this. That's why they yeah. want to get into court and try to sort it out. All right, coming up, um, another yeah. well, another legal case. Hey, Trump's going to be drowning in subpoenas oh, if he's not careful. No, no kidding. That's uh, he won't have time to tweet. Uh, well, he always has time to tweet. <laughs> there's always right. there's always room for Jello, and there's always time <laughs> for him to tweet. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll take a break. Come back, Amy. When the- KFI handle here on a uh, Friday, June 8th. Uh, big stories that we're covering. Trending like crazy. Anthony Bourdain dead in a hotel room in France, in Strasbourg. And uh, it looks like he uh, hanged himself is what we're getting. has not been confirmed yet. Uh, and so I uh, want to also uh, announce that it's Free Movie Friday with Adam Tickets. They're giving you a chance at Free Movie Tickets. You can text them now. Text reporter to Adam1, A-T-O-M-1, for your chance to win. It's the Adam Ticket app where you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends if you had any. I don't. Uh, pre-order concessions all from your phone and skip the lines. And standard data and text message rates uh, may apply as if anybody actually pays for data and text rates anymore. Okay. Back we go. More handle on the news. Amy King in for Jennifer today. Wayne Resnick and me. Could be another subpoena for President Trump this time having to do with the NFL. Yeah, that's another. Uh, Colin Kaepernick's legal team. I mean, this is speculation at this point that they might subpoena President Trump, Vice President Pence and other people who were involved in the campaign to see what kind of relationships there are or were between these people and the NFL owners, and therefore, what, to try to prove that the NFL owners are freezing out Colin Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick at least partly to curry favor with the administration. But even that, the, the administration would not be involved. It would have to be a phone call or a conversation from the administration, actually from Donald Trump personally, to the owner saying, uh, don't, don't hire. hire yeah, so it's good. This is going to go absolutely no place. I don't even know if the subpoena is going to fly with the president. Probably Bill will with the owners of the teams. Uh, oh, sure. That, that will. 
And you, I just see uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, in court and the judge going, uh, Mr. Kaepernick, get off your knee. This is a court of law. <laughs> <laughs> and just a, It's a visual. It's a good one, Bill. Thank you. The First Lady's office is saying, hey, uh, Rudy, don't talk for me. And she never talks, but Giuliani... She didn't talk this time. Uh, well, I, I understand that the point of this story is <clears throat> that Rudy Giuliani said she doesn't believe that the president right. bonked uh, Stormy Daniels and that now the message is, hey, you don't know what we what I believe. But I just think it's funny that the idea she speaks for herself, except she didn't speak for herself. She spoke through a spokesperson. Well, uh, yeah, but she's not going to go out there and say I speak for myself. But it's interesting that and I think it's actually more than interesting that Giuliani says she does not believe the woman and she believes her husband. And she said, don't you say it, Giuliani. I speak for myself. Whoa. Does that mean there's some doubt as to whether she believes her husband? And I don't know. You can interpret it that way. Yeah, because it, it does sound like, hey, don't, it, that if she was saying, I don't think he did it, she would say, don't speak for me, Rudy. When I say I believe my husband, right. then it's going to come has from my come, mouth. Has she come out and said that? Is there a public statement from her saying, I believe my husband? I don't think there no. is. Mm-mm. I don't think. And who, incidentally, uh, doesn't believe that uh, the president stooped Stormy Daniels? Is there anybody out there that doesn't think, uh, of course he did? Much like climate change. It doesn't exist in Trump world. Right. It just doesn't exist. Right. You've got the icebergs melting in front of you. Uh, You have the Antarctica. You have the Ross ice shelf disappearing. Uh, Storms like crazy. Well, stormy Uh like crazy. And uh, it's I truly don't understand this man. Hey, guess guess who are uh, two peas in a pod right now? Stormy Daniels and Lindsey Graham. Senator Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Republican. Graham, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, a big Trump supporter, uh, is sticking up for Stormy Dan. And this is Giuliani again, uh, who was speaking at this thing in Israel. And not only did he say Melania believes Trump, but he also said, Stormy, you want to bring a case? Let me cross-examine you because the business you were in entitles you to no degree of giving your credibility anyway. Basically said, you worked in porn. Nobody could believe anything you ever say. And uh, Lindsey Graham has stepped up and said, hey, 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 that's a little too much. Yeah, how does it connect someone working in porn to lying? I don't quite understand that connection. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's a jump. I mean, I can see it saying it's not a very well-respected, high-talent. Well, yeah, it depends on you know, you know, who you're position. asking. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean she's a liar. No, that's I the think whole the, point. I think the browser histories of almost every American would beg to differ. Uh. But <laughs> uh, anyway, he's basically saying, hey, that's too much. You're attacking this woman in a way that's uncool. Right. Now, Lindsey Graham, uh, he's on his way out, right? So he has the ability to say whatever. And he actually is one of the three who have attacked Trump. Uh, you've got Consistent. Jeff Flake. You have Senator John McCain. Uh, who uh, none of the three are coming back. And John McCain, unfortunately, will probably pass away uh, before the end of his term. And so uh, they they can say it, but no one who is in Congress can say it. 
because, or Republicans can say it, you can't attack Donald Trump if you're a Republican and you want to stay in. Because you, if you are in Trump land and you attack Trump, no matter what party you're in, you've just been unelected. Now, Democrats will be reelected, but any Republican who attacks Trump in a Trump state, gone. Gone. Next election. So they will not speak anything. Also, you have Ronald Reagan's philosophy, the 11th commandment. Uh, you do not speak negatively about Republicans to the Republicans. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. And, Donald Trump did not get that message. Uh, no, <laughs> no. And we'll be back uh, with more handle on the news. KFI handle here. It is a Friday. Uh, big stories that we're covering. The biggest, uh, Anthony Bourdain found dead in his hotel room in France, committed suicide, and that broke early this morning, and we'll have uh, plenty of that uh, coming up, including uh, Neil when uh, he comes in on Foodie Friday. He has interviewed Anthony Bourdain, so uh, we'll talk to him about that. All right, let's finish handle on the news. Amy in for... Uh, what's her face? Jennifer, I keep on forgetting her. All you have to do is be gone, and I, I forget your name. Not even 24 hours. I, I know, it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> uh, there. Oh, my God. Let's share that with Jennifer, okay? <laughs> uh, Wayne Resnick and uh, me. Okay, remember uh, the good old Turpin family? Oh, yeah, tough, tough story. Yeah, well, we know already that the parents are accused of torturing and abusing their 13 children. Well, Mrs. Turpin's sister says her... Her sister did a lot of weird stuff, including witchcraft. Because hell. No surprise. She's uh, she's basically nuts. But uh, in uh, the book that her sister writes, of course, when in doubt, you write a book. Uh, she is saying uh, that uh, Louise Turpin uh, went to a Ouija board and the Ouija board told her to have another child. Really? Okay. Yeah, crazy. Thank you. Hey, a company down in Newport Beach is being sued by the state and a bunch of California DAs for too much lead in the baby formula. <laughs> no milk today. They're called Gracely Inc. And there's another company out of Utah, Nutraceutical Corporation. And uh, here's some of the things they were selling. Sammy's Milk-Free ra- Milk. Let me do it again. Sammy's Milk Free-Range Goat Milk Toddler Formula. Okay, you know, as, as weird as that name sounds, uh, that's half legitimate. Peaceful the, Planet Toddler Supreme. Now, that you question. Who in their right mind is going to buy baby formula that is named Peaceful Planet Toddler Supreme. What does that tell you? Uh, it would be fathers with man buns who carry their baby around in a baby Bjorn on their way to their hot yoga right. class. Also, nu- Nutraceutical <laughs> Corporation. Uh, aren't those fake nuts? No, those are nudicles. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Very close, though. <laughs> Apparently, uh, between 13 and 15 times the maximum allowable dose of lead under California law. And they branded themselves as having a product that is selected for purity and clean nutrition. Of course, just too much lead. All right. Okay. And so the, uh, the, the school shootings have led to a rather interesting, kind of creepy response to how to prepare children for them. When the guns do, the guns do. 
Yeah. This is in a, what, kindergarten class? Mm-hmm. It's where, called a lockdown lullaby. Yeah, where on the wall or on a chalkboard uh, is, and are you ready for this, are the lyrics to their version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, Lockdown, Lockdown, Lock the Door, Shut the Door, Shut the Lights Off, Say No More, Go Behind the Desk and Hide, Wait Until It's Safe Inside. That's a nursery rhyme in a kindergarten class. How scary and just just weird and, well, not even depraved because it's not. Just scary, but, really frightening. But also kind of a sign of the times. Yeah. And like how do you teach children that if something happens, they need to hide, they need to, and not freak them out. And yeah. so if you introduce it this way, maybe it becomes sort of a game and it, you know, it's just, it's such a weird and awful problem that we have to deal with. Yep. Two fellas wore dresses to high school. What's wrong with that? Well, well they, the school didn't like it. They got suspended. Right. And here is, I'm going to back the school on this one. And I'll tell you why. You've got a couple of kids who wore them just for the hell of wearing it. I guess because you can wear them and guys and uh, young men can wear uh, wear dresses if they self-identify. They're in a trans situation. Well, these guys did it just to screw around. And I think there is a difference. And the school said, you can't do that. Uh, they're arguing we have a right to do that. Uh, first of all, the rights of students in school is very limited relative to the rights of the rest of us outside of school. And the school argued uh, this was simply to disrupt. So there was no reason. Right. Except, except just, just try to screw with. Well, they were being clever because what they said is, hey, we looked at the dress code. Yeah. And we follow- and it tells you. Right. It tells you what dresses have to be, how short or tall, uh, long they can be. So we followed the dress code because the dress code doesn't say a dress has to be on a female. Eh, but you're right. They're, wise, they're a couple of wise guys. All right. Let's yeah. finish up, uh, Amy. Okay. Uh, a teenager in Arcadia just got a scholarship to the University of Utah. Awesome, right? Yep. For video gaming. Go play a video game. And that's happening more and more. It has become a legitimate sport. There are stadiums that fill up. There's a state. You remember the? this used to be NBC, these studios right across the way? Yeah. In that complex now, Blizzard, a video game company, has an eSports stadium right there. Where people just watch yep. kids playing video games. People watch your daughter play video they games They do. On she stream. has Pretty right. Poison 105 on, that's right. Pretty on po- uh, Twitch. Yep. Me. Pretty Poison 105 uh, on Twitch TV. On Twitch.tv. Which is huge. Uh, huge. And uh, she has subscribers. Uh, she'll have hundreds of people. I mean, she's not into thousands and thousands, but hundreds of people watching her at any given time. Now, Pamela is a little different. She's not a phenomenal player. Uh, what she is, they, they tune into her for per, her personality. Most girls who play are TNA. You know, the makeup, the cleavage. Uh, first of all, Pamela is a slob. That's for starters. She's a complete slob. And what they watch her for is she is dark. She is witty. She is depraved. When, or where did she get that? I don't know. Uh, no clue. No yeah. clue. Okay, coming up, uh, Anthony Bourdain and the rise of suicides. Uh, it's just fascinating and horrible at the same time. KFI AM 640. I took a while. Hey, hi. Handle here on a, a Friday, June 8th. The top stories that we are covering that are in the news. Uh, 
Uh, pardon Palooza. The uh, president is considering pardoning uh, 3,000 people, uh, including Muhammad Ali. The G7 summit is going on. Uh, the most popular guy there is not Donald Trump. And then the big story, about 4.30 this morning, uh, we received news uh, that Anthony Bourdain, uh, who is a major, major player in the world of food, uh, is dead. 61 years old. He was in Strasbourg, uh, France, doing uh, part of his uh, television work. And uh, it looks like he killed himself. And he, uh, the show he was doing is uh, the travel series Parts Unknown. He's been doing that for, what, 10 years? And, you know, I'm a huge fan or was a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. And it... Um, it's one of those stories, uh, like many others, that you shake your head and you go, here is a guy who had everything, uh, wildly successful in, uh, in, a, in a field that he was passionate about, had tons of money, uh, famous, known by everybody, and ends up killing himself at the height of his career. And so you immediately... And we know that now because the people around him say he had suffered from depression. He, in fact, uh, had been uh, a big abuser of drugs. Don't know if he was doing drugs at uh, this time or this part of his life. I mean, a good drinker in the sense that a good amount of booze, even to the point where he would slosh it down in, in this television shows. And he talked about how much he drank. And it was part of uh, his persona. The fact that he would always be seen just sloshing down uh, whatever booze was there in that country at the time he was filming. And uh, as I said, huge fan of his. Uh, he was a serious world-class uh, class chef, uh, formally trained. Um, he, um, well, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Anthony Bourdain and then talk about a, a bigger picture. Uh, he went to Vassar College. Uh, he, uh, they were pretty well off. Dad was a music executive. A mom was a copy editor. And then after a couple of years at Vassar, uh, he went to uh, the Culinary Institute of America. It's a two-year course. And it is, uh, or maybe it's a four-year course. Can you look that up, Alex? But it's one of the most serious culinary schools. That's a no-joke school. And uh, he uh, had a self-destructive uh, drug use during his youth. And he started running some of the biggest kitchens in New York. Uh, the Supper Club, 15th Avenue, Sullivan's. And his, uh, the highlight of his culinary career was the executive chef at Brasserie uh, Le, uh, Le Hal, or the way we would pronounce it, Les Hales. Damn, do I know my French, don't I? And then he did something very interesting. Uh, he wrote an article for New Yorker. Don't eat this or don't eat before reading this. It was uh, a look at the inner workings of restaurants, specifically the kitchens. And with that, I mean, it, that exploded. And uh, he became known as uh, the chef who wrote this. And that turned into his best-selling book, Kitchen Confidential. And I don't know if you've read that. I read that book years ago. It is riveting. Uh, he is one hell of a writer to say the least. And out of that uh, came his television career, 
Uh, in 2002, there was a two-season run on the Food Network, A Cook's Tour, and he goes around the world seeking culinary adventures. A couple of years later, uh, he releases another book, and uh, by 2005, he goes on the Travel Channel, Anthony Bourdain, or Bourdain, No Reservations. That ran for nine seasons, ending in 2012, and then uh, that turned into Parts Unknown, and he wrote a bunch of books since that. I mean, a bunch. And uh, so here's his success, huge success. And there he goes, kills himself. And incidentally, not alone. When you look at the people that have killed themselves, and probably we'll do that a little bit later, uh, we go through a whole line of even this year and last year in the last 18 months, the list of these celebrities Kate Spade, next, uh, what, last week? Vern Troyer, uh, mini-me. Although it's up in the air whether he killed himself or not. Avicii, the electronic dance music guy. Uh, 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 Brad Bufonda, Veronica Mars. I mean, the big one is Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, and I think Vern Troyer, everybody knew. So what seems to be the problem? Uh, well, what seems to be the problem is everybody's killing themselves. The uh, CDC tells us this U.S. suicide rates uh, have gone up 25% since 1999. And that's not a small figure either. It's not like there's 200 uh, versus 150. Uh, in 26, 2016, 45,000 people killed themselves. Uh, that's huge. Uh, 58% uh, in... Uh, in North Dakota, wow. 58? Yep. Wow. 58% in North Dakota. That's crazy. And we're not talking about just sheer numbers. We're talking about per 100,000 people that live there. This is apples to apples. Uh, it's crazy stuff. Uh, uh, we're right in the middle here. And uh, per 100,000, uh, it's uh, which is the lowest. Uh, the lowest district of Columbia. That's seven people out of every 100,000. For example, Montana, 29 suicides for every 100,000. And District of Columbia, seven people out of every 100,000. See, I would think that uh, it would be much higher in the District of Columbia. Have you ever gone to the District of Columbia other than Washington, D, uh, other than actually going to the Smithsonian. Have you gone to the outlying neighborhoods? Only been to the cool parts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. And we'll do more of this. Uh, Neil Savedra, when we do Foodie Friday, starting at 9, uh, 9.30, is uh, going to talk about his interview with Anthony Bourdain. And I want to know what his take is. And maybe if we can find it, we'll uh, play part of it. We'll go through the archives and... Uh, just see how Neil and Anthony Bourdain talk to themselves or talk to each other. They talk to themselves. Uh, that's a whole different issue, isn't it? Muttering to themselves. Mutter, mutter, mutter. All right, coming up next, the G7 Summit. What's going on? This may be the most interesting G G7 Summit in the history of these G Summits. What does G stand for on those, incidentally? I don't either. Does anybody know that? I don't. Yeah, maybe Group. Yeah, maybe. All right, we'll come back. KFI AM 640. We are going to come together. We're going to come together now. We are going to run together. 
right, KFI Handle here on a Friday. A lot going on today. Uh, some of the big stories we are covering. The biggest one, Anthony Bourdain uh, committed suicide. He was found dead uh, this our time this morning, uh, afternoon in France, where he was discovered, uh, as they say, unresponsive, dead uh, at the age of 61. And the G7 Summit, which we're going to cover right now. So I was asking, what does the G stand for? Group. Uh, it stands for group, right? Unless Donald Trump attends, then it's group, which is happening right now. Although, is he groping Angela Merkel? No, he's not. No, no he's not that crazy. Okay. Theresa May? Uh, no. Maybe, uh, yes. Well, Marcone or Justin? Macron, uh, per- maybe. And Justin Prudeau, uh, just, Trudeau. Uh, Trudeau, yeah. Yeah, except maybe. they really don't like each other. I uh, know. Well, who likes Trump at this point? Nobody. So the G7 summit is an economic summit that's held every year. And these are uh, the leaders of the top seven economic powers in the world. 60% of global net worth. And uh, Russia, I think it was Russia at one point part of them. Uh, they were, I, and then they were booted out when they uh, invaded Crimea. Yeah. And uh, so here's what's going on is uh, that all of the other, uh, the G6, Canada, uh, the UK, France, Italy, Japan, and Germany, happen to hate Donald Trump right now. And they're pretty disgusted. And it's just not hate him on a personal level, although from what I understand, uh, he is fairly easy to hate uh, because Donald Trump. I don't know how many friends does Donald Trump actually have. I mean, good friends who are, don't do business with him. We're not involved uh, other than just, hey, we're friends. Uh, but uh, what he has done, of course, is turned upside down our treaties with uh, our allies in st- instituting the tariffs. Now, uh, the president has said we are tired of the unfair trade practices. I believe in free trade. However, The unfair trade practices with China, for some reason, that's off the table and negotiating on a on a on a separate level. And it's he has I mean, think about this for a moment. Uh, He has talked about how great a guy Kim Jong Un is, certainly how great a guy Vladimir Putin is. And uh, he he happens to like dictators around the world for some reason. Well, and I. He also just made a comment this morning that he wants Russia back in the G7. And and then our allies are going berserk. Now, he does have a point uh, saying it's it's time for free trade. And it has been uneven. And the United States has not done much. uh, And Donald Trump, being Donald Trump, is not one to negotiate uh, on an incremental level. I mean, it's all or nothing. And he threw up the tariffs. Which put everybody in a turmoil, for sure. So he imposed uh, steel and aluminum tariffs, sparked big reprisals from the trade partners. Because what did they do? They threw up tariffs on our goods. And we talked about a trade war. There is going to be a full-blown trade war going on. Incidentally, uh, the president is going to be the last one to attend the summit and the first one out. He is not liked. He doesn't like any of those people. There was a bromance of sorts with uh, Macron and uh, Donald Trump when uh, Trump went ahead and visited uh, Macron in France. And when Macron came back to the United States, 
for a uh, a state event where they really treated each other and they held hands and uh, all of that. That didn't last very long. Not at all. And now there is pure and true animosity. And one of the things uh, I, I think that happens, it's important, uh, at least the... Uh, the people that look at this, the pundits, the experts in this world, say that personal relationships are very important when we're talking about these kinds of international events. For example, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher really liked each other. I mean, they were genuine friends. And uh, you had uh, other presidents who, who just got along. And when you get along with someone... It's one of those, it just makes it easier to negotiate. Because a a president can say to another president or premier, come on, literally, come on, really? Give us this and I'll give you that. And it's just a personal relationship. And they tend to go that way other than uh, you have uh, President Trump saying, you either give us this or we're going to nuke Montreal. Now, maybe I'm going a little bit far here. But the relationship part of it is just not the same. And then you have uh, the negotiations with the trade war. What's going to happen? Well, uh, the aluminum and the steel industry here in the United States, it's fine. Matter of fact, the producers are thrilled. But here's the problem. Whenever there's a trade war, whenever there are protection uh, protectionist tariffs, there are people that are helped and there are people that are hurt. So what's end up, what ends up happening? China, for example, cuts out the purchasing of soybeans, which is 70 or 80% of the market of the soybean producers, although things that has changed. And they're now offering, they're saying we're going to buy $70, $70 billion more in goods. And I don't know whether it includes soybeans or not. Uh, Mexico just cut out the importation of pork products, apples, a few other foodstuffs, of which those states that produce it, who happen to be Trump states, the farmers are nailed. The pork producers are screwed. And uh, I'd like to talk to those people who voted for Donald Trump saying, okay, uh, now what? Right? Your market has disappeared. Now what do you do? Yeah, precisely. So what are you going to see out of the G7 uh, summit? Tomorrow it ends. Uh not much. Oh, and the G7 folks say, if, we, if you want to make it to G6, we're fine with that. And we'll, we'll simply take the United States out of the picture, which is what's happening with NAFTA. The United States is going alone. Uh, certainly the Paris, uh, the, uh, the, climate cli- the climate accord, the United States is out of that. And that's virtually every country in the world. I think 180 countries are signatories to the, uh, the climate change uh, accord in the, the Paris Climate Change Accord. And I tell you, we're, we're going to be the isolationist country. We're going from effectively the policemen of the world where the other countries look at the United States for leadership and we're out of that picture. And Trump said that. It's not if it's happening in a vacuum. He said, we are not the policemen of the world anymore. I'm not interested. It's America. When he said, make America great again and America first, Man, he meant it to the point of isolationism. And even then and of itself, that can get pretty dangerous, which I'm sure we'll uh, talk about a whole lot 
in the next few months. Oh, also coming up at 820, I'm going to be talking to Ellen Kay, who is over at Coast, and she is a Radio Hall of Fame nominee, much like George Norrie is. So we're going to whore her nomination a little bit too, and that's coming up. And coming up, uh, Giuliani does not speak for all of the Trumps, just ask Melania. This is KFI AM 640, and there's... KFI Handle here. And uh, good morning. Quick announcement about Law Day coming up a week from tomorrow at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana. And that's from 9 to 2 o'clock. We do it every year. Over 100 legal experts from HandleOnTheLaw.com giving you good free legal advice in virtually virtually every field of the law. And I'm broadcasting Handle on the Law live from 9 to 11. A lot of our sponsors will be there. And you can attend uh, free seminars, win prizes throughout the day. Simply log on to KFIAM640.com and the keyword is Law Day. Sponsored by the People's Attorney of Southern California, Sweet James Bergener. Go to sweetjames.com. It's at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana. Beautiful venue. On Saturday, June 16th from 9 to 2 o'clock. And some of the big stories we're covering. Actually, the biggest by far today is the suicide of Anthony Bourdain. He was found uh, this morning, our time in his hotel room in Strasbourg, uh, France, uh, committed suicide at the age of 61. And uh, the G7 summit is going on right now. And uh, it would have been front page news, but for Anthony Bourdain and uh, Trump's last one in, first one out, and uh, he is hated. Hated. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to be putting on the Instagram a uh, Donald Trump segment or a little Instagram segment, and I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. Uh, See? There you go. Okay. Now, uh, for some reason, Rudy Giuliani Giuliani is still on the Donald Trump team. He has been the attack dog, and he just throws it out there. He speaks without thinking, except he's not the president. And he has said uh, stuff that everybody shakes their heads and goes, wait a minute. Well, his latest uh, foray into uh, foot in the mouth is he is in Israel. And uh, he said a couple of things that are, uh, question them. First of all, uh, he talked about Melania Trump and said that the first lady, uh, does not believe Stormy Daniels, obviously, and believes her husband in his denial of having a sexual sexual escapade with Stormy Daniels. And if she, in fact, believes her husband, she is the last one on the planet who believes her husband did not have an affair. Excuse me, I'm coughing here. Let me suck up some Diet Coke. Uh, All right. Live radio. See what happens? So she's the last human being in the world who doesn't believe that her uh, husband uh, actually did not have an affair with Stormy Daniels. So Giuliani starts with, she does believe him. 
and talked about the credibility of Stormy Daniels and effectively says uh, she is a porno actress, if you want to call it acting, and therefore she is a liar. Connected those two. She has no credibility because she's in porno. All right, two things. Uh, Through her spokesperson, Mrs. Trump said, you don't speak for me. That just isn't on the table. And he spoke for her. And she came out and in pretty forceful terms through her uh, communications director said, you don't speak for me, which is really interesting because think about it. He said that she doesn't, that she believes her husband and she's saying, don't speak for me. You can take that one where you want to go with that. Now, for a moment, do I think she is saying, uh, therefore, she doesn't believe her husband? No, not for a moment. But it is uh, an attack on Giuliani, uh, Giuliani saying, hey, uh, don't start talking about what I believe in and what I think. That's just not going to happen. And uh, then somehow he has uh, connected being a porn actress to telling the truth. Because Stormy Daniels stoops on film, therefore she is a liar. And he, she has no credibility. And you go, really? Now... This is not the first time Giuliani has said something that is controversial. And, uh, in fact, he said things that uh, other members of the of the uh, administration have said. Uh, th- he does not speak for the administration. Well, that's exactly what he's doing. And I guess they're differentiating between Donald Trump the person and Donald Trump the president. And I don't know how you do that. But anyway, we're just waiting for Giuliani's next one, and we're waiting for the president's next one. Uh, It's hugely entertaining. It truly is. Okay, and you have to assume, very quickly, you have to assume that under any other circumstances, what Giuliani has been doing would get him fired the first time out. That's not the case. So because of that, you have to assume this is exactly what the president wants. The more attacking Giuliani does, the better the president feels about it and the more he supports it. All right, coming up, Google and facial recognition. And uh, there's some, some real controversy about that and artificial intelligence, which is scaring the hell out of some very big players. KFI AM 640. KFI Handle here on a Friday morning, and uh, the biggest stories we're covering, I mean, the big one, of course, the suicide of Anthony Bourdain was found dead in his hotel room this morning, afternoon in France, where he was while shooting an episode of his uh, travel series, Parts Unknown, 61 years of age, uh, and uh, coming up at uh, 9.30 with Foodie Friday, we'll talk to Neil, who in fact interviewed Anthony Bourdain, I'm sorry? Actually, I asked Neil about it to see if we can get a copy of it. He said he never had the pleasure of meeting or speaking to Anthony Bourdain. Oh, so where do we get that? I don't know. Wishful thinking? Okay, so on Foodie Friday, we will not be talking to Neil about Anthony Bourdain. Well, maybe we will. Maybe we'll talk about his influence. And uh, that way, uh, it's an end around. Uh, We're worming our way through the mistake we made this morning. Okay, now, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, It's something on everybody's mind. Maybe. 
And Spy Net, or Skynet's coming. Yes. Oh God, what a horrible movie that was too. You know, Skynet. Oh, good God. Anyway, uh, it, it, a lot of people are scared about this uh, artificial intelligence, uh, particularly uh, some people that you may know their names. Bill Gates, Elon Musk are not thrilled with artificial intelligence. And, of course, as you know, uh, AI has the ability to teach itself and start making decisions. And it's not just, for example, face recognition software, which is already scaring people to death. Because uh, when you, for example, in England, all right, and uh, when you talk about London, there is no place in central London, I mean not one square inch of central London, if you walk out on the street that doesn't have a camera, and you're on camera, and when you're talking about facial recognition software, it instantly can match any face in the city of London with the database that uh, the authorities have. I mean, that's uh, a lot of people are pretty frightened about that, for sure. And so AI goes way beyond that, and effectively it is robots, if you want to call them robots, usually it's just decision-making with software, but effectively it's robots running themselves even to the point where robots can create robots. And what's the first rule of robotics? Harm no humans. That is a crock, I might add. There is no problem with a robot taking a machine gun and just ripping an entire room, like RoboCop. No problem with doing that. Just thought I'd mention that. So if you have any doubts about AI, that should really give you some pause. The point is, is that when you go to that extent, first of all, there are no regulations at all on there. Uh, it's, again, we talked about this uh, with uh, bioscience yesterday. The technology is moving at lightning speed, and there is absolutely no controls at this point. And so with that, uh, there is uh, a lot of controversy because you have these companies, major companies, for example, Google, uh, have signed contracts with uh, the defense establishment using AI and face recognition and a lot of people are very concerned about this, where this can go. And it's interesting that private industry uh, is allowed to do this. For example, there's been face recognition software involved. I remember doing a, a story about a bar having uh, this face recognition software that it can instantly recognize people who've had, who have had trouble in the bar before and they weren't allowed in. They'd be thrown out. Hey, big deal. Or Costco seeing my wife come in uh, every other day and knowing she's one of the best customers they've ever seen in their entire lives. But when it comes to the government using AI or face recognition software or any program that invades pri your privacy, for example, listening in on your cell phone conversations, of which incidentally you have no uh, expectation of privacy and that's not covered. Constitutionally, they can do that. And they don't need a search warrant to pick up conversations that are up in the air. So we're going at breakneck speed and you're going to see, we're going to see in an extraordinary way, uh, this AI off to the races. And we don't even know where it's going to go. We have no idea where it's going to go.
And just to give you an example, you know, I do uh, commercials for Corey Hong and uh, Unicom Global. And just not a, this is not a pitch for them. But when I tell you that Corey Hong really is a visionary, he is. I mean, you know, he got started in the 80s and was able to read what was happening 20 years before everybody else. And I asked him once, uh, Corey, so where do you think the Internet is going and software, which, of course, is part is, is AI, which is software, where do you think it's going? I mean, you were pretty good at guessing what uh, the future was going to bring us uh, way before everybody else did or in the early stages. And he said, Bill, because that's my name. He said, Bill, I have absolutely no idea. I can't even imagine in my wildest dreams where this is going to go and how quickly it's going to go. And this is a guy who knows computers like you know your left hand. All right. Coming up, uh, a tech segment with Leo Laporte, Bitcoin mining. What the hell is that? You've heard about it. How does it work? It's weird, weird stuff. And that's uh, Leo Laporte coming right up. KFI AM 640. Uh, KFI on a Friday. And I was just talking to Leo. Oh, that's right. It is Friday, isn't it? It's time for a tech segment with Leo Laporte. Uh, Leo heard every uh, Saturday and Sunday here on uh, KFI, 11 to 2 o'clock. That's uh, how I know it's Friday. Uh, I uh, yeah, to work yeah, tomorrow. Of course you do. Uh, by the way, how many stations are you on, Leo? Uh, I think it's around 175. All right. Like yeah, but how many are you on? Uh, 360. But <sighs> wait a minute. See, that is that is so misleading because all you need is 10 stations yeah. in markets. The big 10. The big if you're on KFI, Yeah, you're that's done. one of them. That's one of them. Yep. Uh, and then the other uh, 359, I'm in uh, towns that have fewer people than work in this building. But we love I'm, them. I'm talking but about we... the entire town. <laughs> we love them. They're you know, great I'm actually people. In, I'm actually in towns that have 2,000 people. I mean, oh, population. Sure. So I. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. That's normal. That's radio, baby. Yeah, that is radio. It's That's a retail true. business. Uh, for sure. Anyway, um, and so we can go on and talk about you know how mine is smaller than yours. Yours is bigger than mine. No, it's... I'm sad to say. <laughs> this is what this is, this is so sad. This is what people in radio get together and talk about how many stations you have, and then their voices get lower somehow. Uh, well, uh, I'm in the 400. Uh, yeah, right. Stations. And you go and which any any radio station I've ever heard of? <laughs> ever heard no, of? No, yeah. no. no. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Bitcoin, you, you have a, wow. a little bit of a, a factoid about Bitcoin that I never knew. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin, it, in order to generate Bitcoin, it has to do uh, something called proof of work. People, Bitcoin miners, you might have heard this term. These are people who have cheap power and big, powerful machines who are trying to generate Bitcoin. And with Bitcoin at $10,000, Per coin, or, or somewhere around there, seven to ten thousand, there really is some incentive for them to do this. I'll tell you right now, the estimated global mining costs of Bitcoin this year are three point four billion dollars. Bitcoin 
generate mining generates uh, uses the same amount of electricity as the Czech Republic. That's crazy. What exactly <laughs> is Bitcoin mining? I mean, I've heard that phrase. I don't know what mining is in the world of Bitcoin. Yeah, well, it's not digging gold out of the ground. It's uh, it's solving tough mathematics problems. Bitcoin's what we call a cryptocurrency, and there are a lot of them now. Bitcoin's the best known. And the way the coins are generated is by solving mathematical problems. And then when transactions happen, the same thing has to go on. In order to validate the transaction, a proof of work has to be done. Which And, and everybody who does this stuff makes more Bitcoin. So in the early days of Bitcoin, I had a friend who put a Bitcoin miner. It's just a program running on your computer uh, online. And the next day he woke up, he would 50 Bitcoins he'd generated. Now that's a lot of money today. In those today, days, yeah, it it's like crazy. Fifty bucks. It's crazy. So, go ahead. People are there's some incentive to do it, but Bitcoin's designed to get harder and harder to mine as time goes by, and that means it uses more and more energy. In fact, there's a company in, in Scandinavia that makes a space heater that really is just a Bitcoin miner, but it, it works so hard it heats up the room. Oh, that is so hilarious. You, yeah, it pays for itself. But uh, when you talk about uh, solving mathematical equations, who comes up with those? Well, we don't. It's a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto, a guy or guys. We don't know because he has disappeared. He is a multi-billionaire in Bitcoin, but he hasn't touched his Bitcoin trove. He invented Bitcoin. And so he was the guy who wrote the paper that said, if you did this, if you created this imaginary currency based on these mathematical principles, you could use it to as a as a store for value. All money is just like a battery for value, right? right. A dollar bill is just like a battery. There's, there's no value to that piece of paper. But when you do some work, that work gets stored in the dollar bill, and then you can use it somewhere else. Well, Bitcoin's exactly the same. It's just not backed by a government. It's backed by mathematical calculations. But someone has to come up with those. If you yeah. need uh, well, where do they hundreds come or from? thousands of computers right. to solve it, I mean, someone has to come up with the... In intricate impossible to solve equations well basically they're factoring numbers and so uh this is something that's well known it's a simple algorithm it's just hard to do for computers that's why cryptography works and these were generated these problems were created at the very beginning when bitcoin was created and they're automatically generated new ones so no human is doing it anymore it was just nakamoto who wrote the original concept and software and he's in japan we don't know. No one's ever been able to find this guy. He's got a Japanese name, but it could be many people. It could be from anywhere. We don't know. Yeah, and, He's and, a mystery man. And I'm, I'm hearing about companies that accept Bitcoin yeah. uh, as real currency. Is, sure. that, is that growing? Mm, yeah, no, not so much because here's the problem. <laughs> the, the Bitcoin is so volatile and now so valuable that you could use – let's say you used a Bitcoin to buy a dozen cupcakes five years ago, which people did all the time. That would be $8,000 today. So it's not, a good, it's not a good currency because it's just too volatile. You know, the dollar is not so volatile. It's pretty much right. the same value. Bitcoin is all over the place. I could actually tell you, if you go to CoinMarketCap, you can see what the current value of all the different cryptocurrencies are. Bitcoin, as we're speaking, I'll go to CoinMarketCap, is worth, oh, it's gone up. It's gone up seven point three seven thousand three hundred twenty-eight dollars, but tomorrow it could be worth thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I hit its high at almost twenty thousand. It was didn't at twenty, it? Yeah. and then that's it... when I really regretted losing the password to my pit, pit, Bitcoin wallet. No, we're losing Bitcoin. a little bit on the internet here. Uh, you regretted losing your password to what? That's when I regretted losing the password to my Bitcoin wallet. 
I have seven Bitcoin in there. $140,000. And you can't unlock it, so you don't I have it at all? It. Well, I have it. I just can't get to it. Well, that means you don't have it. No one, no one else has it. Well, if I can remember the password, I, every once in a while I'll enter some more passwords to see. That is hilarious. All right, Leo, that is funny. <laughs> so uh, stupid. Yeah, that is pretty stupid, yeah. All right, Leo, thank you. We'll talk again thank next you, week. Coming up, Ellen Kay over on Coast has been nominated for the National Radio Hall of Fame, and I'll talk to her. In the meantime, Amy K. Ellen got home. She made a snack and went up on her rooftop and didn't think about Ben at all. She stayed up for hours just watching all the drunk folks find the taxis because all in all it wasn't good. KFI handle here in the morning crew. And uh, here's a name that uh, you're going to recognize, Ellen Kay. And if you don't recognize Ellen's name, it's because you don't listen to her radio and she listen only to mine, which is a good thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ellen Kay, uh, yes. who is, uh, has a show on Coast 103.5. Mm. And uh, Ellen, you've been nominated to the Radio Hall of Fame. I have been nominated, Bill, and thank you for having me on your show. This is my first time on your show. That's true, actually. I came down through the stairwell ah. because we're on separate floors. They keep us separated. They do? Uh, because you have all the nice offices. Oh, come on. Other than the fit. Oh, come on. <laughs> you have all kinds of like branded carpeting. We and have, yeah, one, okay, so they took one piece of carpet. <laughs> Actually, the studios aren't bad. You should see what this place looked like before they did the remodel. It's, it's very nice. Nothing you deserve like, it. Nothing like Ryan's studio where they spent $5 million on that he shows up once every six months and broadcast. Exactly. Okay, let's talk okay. about uh, the uh, the uh, Radio Hall of Fame. Okay. First of all, yes. your credentials, yes, which okay. are enormous. Uh, 1990 to 2004, co-host the Rick D's Morning yes. Show. Then with Ryan on yes. Kiss until 2015, and then your own show on Coast. Yes. And so you've been doing this for a long time. And uh, something about the Radio Hall of Fame, uh, I uh, must tell You're in it, and so I, I that's know. why I'm, I want to be blessed by you. Oh, I, well, thank you. Um, here's the fun part about it is, okay. well, first of all, I'm going to tell you, those uh, people out in Radio Land, okay. uh, how to vote. And it, this, this category is a vote yeah. that's done by the listeners, which I think is far more... Uh, legitimate, if you will, and that's oh. in quotes, than a bunch of radio pros doing it. These are oh, the people okay. that listen, which mm -hmm. are radio, which are radio listeners, and uh, it's one of those things where the nomination itself is extraordinary. There are hundreds and hundreds of people out there uh, that are that's in the pool. And how mm -hmm. many people are actually nominated in your category? Four. There are four. Four. There are four so of already us. you're in four out of hundreds, but. We want to make it so you win. So I'm going to start with this, and then I'm going to end with this. And that's uh, the polling. It's on uh, the Internet, or it's texting. Yeah. Uh, you have until June 20th. So you'll have uh, another 12 yeah. days, give okay. or take. And here's how you vote for Ellen into the radio National Radio Hall of Fame. You text 100 to 96,000, 100 to 96,000, or go to radiovote.com. You can vote on your computer. Mm -hmm. You can vote uh, including your cell or tablet. Do it on both. And ask yeah. your friends, borrow every single <laughs> mobile device you can to vote for Ellen. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Now let's talk Thank about you. you. You've been in Thank radio you. for how long? I've been in radio for 28 years. So when did you decide mm -hmm. it was going to be radio for you? Uh, I was going to Purdue University uh, and... 
I was studying veterinary medicine. Wait a minute. That is... Uh, yeah. That's, now, that's serious stuff. It you, was intense. You can't get into a vet school in this country. Well, Bill, that was the problem. I had to keep my grades up because just to get into vet school, which is another five years, uh, and then more, more, more years of schooling on that, um, you had to have not just a perfect GPA. You had to have above and beyond. Right. So I would need a 4.5 out of 4.5. I would have to get that. Um, I was struggling with my science classes, but I was still, I love animals. I wanted to be a large animal vet. So this would be farm animals. So I could be, instead of sitting in the studio with you, having fun and being on your show, I could be at a, on a farm, um, you know, vaccinating sheep. Right. Or doing a pelvic exam on a horse. Yes, exactly. So one day it was very cold in Indiana where Purdue is. And I got on the bus and we took, we would take the bus to the farm. And this was a day to study cattle and their stomachs, four stomachs. Uh, there was a pregnant cow, and they decided, let's take the opportunity to uh, check out and make sure the calf is positioned correctly. So you put on the glove up to the your glove, shoulder to and shoulder. decided at that moment, I'm in radio. Yes. My arm was warm on the bus <laughs> all the way back to my dorm. I called my dad as soon as I got back, and I said, Dad, I'm switching majors. I can't do this. I, I just can't do this. I was uh, My arm was up a cow today. It's still warm. I can't get the visual out of my, my mind, and I don't think that this is the right thing for me. I, I admire vets for doing what Got they it. do. So there you are. Well, yeah. uh, obviously, radio uh, is the better for it. So you end up, what was your first paid gig, by the way? My first paid radio gig um, was, at, oh, running the... Running the farm report in Indiana. Uh, what was your first paid radio gig when you were on the air? Oh, I when like I was on back. the air. Okay, my first paid radio gig on the air was in Lafayette, Indiana. And I always ask this question. Do you yeah. remember how much money you were getting in those days? Oh, my gosh. I think I was getting about $7 an hour. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That, that, okay. And that's and everybody wants to get into radio. Yes. All right? Yeah. yeah. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> I did overnight. I know. You're completely out of your mind. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and you also have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and that was 2012. Yeah. And you were named the 2017 iHeartRadio Personality of the Year. I mean, the creds just keep on coming and coming. And now we've got to get LNK into the National Radio Hall of Fame, and we need you to do it. So text 100 to 96,000. That's 196,000 or uh, and or vote to radiovote.com, radiovote.com. And where is the induction? Is it in Chicago? It's in New York City this year. Oh, it's for the first time. They've moved it to New York for this year, uh, and it's in November. So uh, I have to visualize. New York in November. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> I always say, if you say it out loud, it will happen. So we manifested. Bill Handel, I'm going to be in the Radio Hall of Fame next to you, and it will be one of the biggest honors of my oh, life. Oh, that's so sweet. And you don't have to say that. I'm still pitching you. <laughs> text text 100 to 96,000 or go to radiovote.com, LNK. Uh, who is, uh, and I know your family, I just know Oh, I know, we, we go back. We do go back a long, long time. Well, uh, you're a very good friend uh, to do this, Bill. Oh, my pleasure. Enjoy the cupcakes. Oh, these are amazing. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, this is serious money that you spend on these cupcakes. And we have the cupcakes on Instagram. Mm. Our Instagram, you get to see them. So just go to uh, Instagram, at uh, Bill Handel Show. All right, Ellen, thank And Next time we talk, it's going to be a congratulations. You know yes, that. Yes, it is, Bill. Thank you. All right, take care. <laughs> All right, this is KFI. And coming up, Handel on the News, late edition, super segment. And now we go to Amy King in the KFI Newsroom. <laughs> 
Handle on the News. Late edition. Handle on the News. Tonight I am also calling on this Congress to repeal and replace Bill Handel. And now, here's Bill Handel. Oh yeah, it's uh, Friday, and uh, oh, what a Friday. We woke up this morning uh, with the news that Anthony Bourdain, uh, or Bourdain had killed himself. Also, I want to mention that there's an Instagram up that was uh, cu- that's kind of fun. Uh, with a little bit of uh, profanity in in it, because we can do that, because it's uh, internet-based. And it's uh, a, a little commentary on the G7, and it's not by me. It is not... It's a, it's a pretty special guest. You bet. So I'm just going to tease that. Instagram at Bill Handel Show. You bet. All right. Uh, let's do it. Handle on the news, late edition... Uh, Amy King in for Jennifer today, Wayne Resnick, and me. Lead story. Richard Corey went home last night and put a bullet through his head. Yep, that's pretty much the story of Anthony Bourdain, that great uh, Simon and Garfunkel uh, song in uh, which uh, you had this wildly successful man who just walked in and just put a bullet through his head. And that's what happened uh, early this morning, our time Anthony Bourdain in his uh, hotel room in uh, Strasbourg, France, uh, hanged himself or hung himself. And, uh, well, it's he obviously had demons. But look at this. You've got a man who is wildly successful, famous, tons of money, was doing what he loved to do, but had a history of drug addiction, uh, drank like a fish even on his show. Uh, parts unknown, where I uh, traveled around the world uh, eating great food. I mean, what a terrific job! If you're into food, and he was a world class chef, you wa- you just fly around the world and go to the best restaurants and go to barbecues that are well known. And although that's pretty hard work, flying around, you're there for two three days. It's not as if you're having a vacation. It will be interesting to hear details of. You know, some of those demons, because something's going to come out. Oh, yeah. Well, already we've heard uh, from people who knew him uh, that he had some real issues. Obviously, you don't just hang yourself uh, because you have nothing else to do. You wake up in the morning. Hey, I'm kind of bored today. What do I do? Well, let's hang myself. No, it doesn't work that way. Do you want to mention uh, what's coming up at 9 right now since we're talking about this? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, we will. Steve Gregory... Uh, interviewed Anthony Bourdain four times. And Steve is going to join us and talk about those interviews and uh, his take on Anthony Bourdain. Look forward to that just after nine. Uh, bird spikes, not just for birds anymore. Yep, San Diego Coronado Bridge, which is really high. Caltrans is going to install these spikes on the bridge temporarily as a suicide deterrent. Uh, Why? Well, 400 people have already jumped to their deaths since it opened 1969. It's not the Golden Gate, which is iconic for jumping off and killing yourself, but it's still pretty good in that regard. Well, Caltrans is saying if they don't do something, this bridge could surpass the Golden Gate Bridge as the uh, nation's deadliest bridge. Well, and they have a bunch of choices right now. Uh, a dozen dozen deterrent options, uh, mesh fences, glass panels, 
uh, thistles six to eight feet high, uh, steel net underneath. They do that on the Golden Gate Bridge. There's a steel net. Is that in place now? I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Although, what stops people from moving along the net and then, and then just going off. over the side? You know, they do that while you know, aerialists do that at the circus when they fall. They hit the net and then they sort of move over. I think the thinking is that it's a it's a short term decision and that a lot of people have said okay. failed suicide attempts have made them think, oh shoot. Okay. I'm glad that didn't work. Fair enough. Uh President Trump heads to the G seven, kind of a man alone. Come together. Except he doesn't seem to want to come together with the other countries there. He seems to be the odd man out right now because he uh, economically kind of seems like he's turning on our allies. Yes, but when I was just talking to Brian Suits, who's filling in for Gary and uh, Shannon today, and uh, he he's right in the sense that it is unfair trade practices. Uh, Brian just pointed out uh, that any phone company in Canada can sell equipment here in the United States, right? It's wide open. We can't do the same in Canada. So Trump wants to be a free trade. He wants to be free trade. Now, the problem is he also combines free trade with the balance of payments. And we buy so much more from China than we sell, and somehow that's wrong. He's not for for free trade. He's not for free trade. He's for some kind of uh, revenue-neutral equality trade. Because he thinks trade deficits are a big problem. Yeah, that's they're not. And the reason we buy from China is because it's cheaper. And what we can produce, if we can produce those efficiencies, although, as Brian pointed out, uh, it's kind of hard when you have 11-year-olds in coal mines that are working 22 hours a day. Uh, we're not about to do that, are we? No. So it's a little complicated. So what's the bottom line? Let's get 11-year-olds working 22 hours a day in our coal mines. That's going to bring us some equality. Okay, let's take a break. What do you think? Oh, no, it's... Yeah, yeah no I break. do that every week. <laughs> every week. I've, I think once I have not done that where... Uh, okay. And that one time, that's what got you into the Radio Hall of Fame. That's correct. Ta-da. Hey, the president wants Russia back in the club. I hope the Russians love that Because Putin is his best friend. He hates Macron. He hates Angela Merkel. Uh, he hates uh, Justin Trudeau, but he likes Putin. Well, actually, he says he's very, very tough on Russia, but still says they should be part of the group. So he made these comments today as he, before he left for the G7 summit. He said Russia should be in the meeting. Why are we having a meeting without them? Russia should be part of it. We have a world to run. Now, he has a point when you talk about it. And by the way, we have sanctioned Russia the toughest sanctions against Russia have been implemented by uh, President Trump. But uh, how do you ignore uh, a world economic power and not sit down and, and just talk at the table? Well, and that's his view of Kim Jong-un, too. Well, then why isn't China on the, in this group? Uh, you they got me, and I too. don't know. I don't know, because uh, they have the, the second biggest economy in, in the world. So uh, it's a good question. Uh, President Trump also looking to maybe pardon somebody else. A name has come up. Muhammad Ali. I stand by my pardon, 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 pardon. Here's the problem. Obviously, he didn't ask anybody. He didn't ask any of his lawyers because they would have told him, well, there's nothing to pardon. 
Ali's conviction was overturned by the Supreme Court. And when a conviction is overturned, uh, there's been no crime. So he's pardoning Muhammad Ali for no crime. Okay. All right. Uh, they didn't even have to buy the cement to build this island. No. The shallow tropical waters of Hawaii's Kapaho Bay are gone. The bay has been overtaken by lava and transformed it into a black mass of land about a mile in size. Yeah, it's become a peninsula. It's a bay that has become a peninsula. Well, and and that's how islands are built. That's correct. So uh, we're going to soon see uh, erosion happening on uh, the volcano, and you're going to see bits and pieces of seeds coming in, and you're going to see... Uh, a lovely, lush part of Hawaii in about two and a half million years. Because that's how long it takes. Hey, the EBT system in California, this is, uh, quote, food stamps. Obviously, they're not stamps anymore. <clears throat> and other um, public assistance benefits. The whole system's going to shut down for 24 hours. It's free! Swipe your EBT free! They're changing vendors so that there can be more charge-free ATMs and point-of-sale markets. And so they have to shut it down and tinker with it. Uh, It goes down 11 p.m. June 23rd through 11.01 p.m. June 24th. And L.A. County Department of Services is saying, you know, get money out or make your purchases before because you won't be able to. What day is that? I mean, I know it's June 23rd, but what day is that? I don't know what that is. And and, and for those of you that uh, plan on buying drugs that day with your uh, food stamps. It's a Saturday uh, into Sunday. So Saturday oh, okay. night into through Sunday evening, and that's a big day uh, for uh, you know going to your crack dealer uh, with the cash you've withdrawn. So uh, you know, do it beforehand. Okay. Illegal immigrants could be getting a tax break. So Democrats in the Assembly are trying to get Governor Brown to expand the state's earned income tax credit. So that people who don't have Social Security numbers can also get those earned income tax credits. Now, uh, there's two sides to this one uh, because uh, we're talking about people who pay taxes. Because undocumented. They have have taxpayer ID numbers, meaning they're on the record and on the grid. And otherwise, they would be uh, eligible for these tax credits under California. And they're paying taxes as if they are legal. And so what this uh, the assembly wants is since we're taking taxes for them as uh, as if they were legal, then we have to give them the credit as if they were legal. And then the other side of it is that's just another uh, another advantage or another invitation to illegal aliens to come into California that effectively as if they are as if you are legal is now becoming more and more part of living in California, which is an invitation. For example, in-state tuition, right? You absolutely have the right to in-state tuition, go to the emergency room, for example. Uh, They can't stop you. They don't ask at all. Uh, School, of course, constitutionally, uh, with a case out of Texas, uh, that everybody's entitled to a high school education, uh, legal or not. So it's just another added so another layer saying, hey, come on over here. But at the same time, it's if you're paying taxes, why don't you why can't you take advantage of the credits that we have? Two ways to go. Flip a coin. Do they pay 
Well, wait. No, they wouldn't file income taxes. They probably pay taxes through paychecks and stuff, right? No, they uh, no, they you file. file. They you file. Can, you file because you, you have a tax, tax ID. If you oh, don't have a tax, tax ID. ID. Okay. Yeah, they file. Yeah, right. you bet they file. That's one of the things about the United States. So we have we don't care one whit whether you're legal or not. We want our taxes. Same thing with uh, people that earn money illegally, criminal enterprises. Right? We want our taxes come hell or high water. We'll let the criminal justice system deal with it. We want our 39.6% if you've made $2 million selling drugs last year. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. The IRS does not care whether you earned the money legally or not as long as you pay the taxes. If you're a drug dealer and you pay your taxes, you will not be bothered by the IRS about anything. Okay, but do you get 1099 on that? What, by? No, probably not. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's a question of investigations. I think you just declare. You, I mean, if you wanted to do it, you would you just declare. declare your income. And you can't do that. So what they do is uh, uh, they find out, you know, through their investigations, through their intelligence, that you've earned X number of dollars, and the IRS wants the money. And you owe the money to the IRS. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you remember this. A guy stole, a soldier stole an armored personnel sure. carrier and went on a crazy chase through downtown Richmond, Virginia. He now says he was supposed to do it. It was part of a secret drill. Right. He was ordered to do this. Now, he did admit he was high and he had this interview. Uh, this interview happened while he was in a psychiatric hospital. And that's the truth, by the way. That's not me trying to be funny. Uh, and but that's his defense. My commanding officer ordered me to do this part of a drill. And it was a hush hush thing yeah. because they wanted to test the response. So nobody else knew. Right. So he says the uh, commander gave him a special code right. to uh, instigate. And they have uh, the video. I mean, it was all over the place. Just him hauling down the street in Richmond. Yeah. In an armored personnel carrier. I thought it was kind of neat. No, and no one was hurt. That's yeah, nobody got So that made the story even better. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people were hurt in this one. And uh, somebody who was hailed as a hero is kind of turned into a villain of sorts. And then a hero comes along. Yeah, this is one of the guards uh, that was at the Pulse nightclub. Uh, he was a, uh, a temporary guard. And uh, he um, the being sued uh, in a federal lawsuit. And not only him, uh, we're also talking, who else is being sued? The, de- the police department's being sued. There's a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of, of officers. Yeah. He's the only one named, though. Yeah. So and- he was the the first one to have any back-and-forth gunfire with uh, Omar Mateen that night. But now some of the victims and their families are saying, you know, what really happened is he abandoned his post and then he stayed outside to ensure his own safety. Now, he is saying that he was looking for someone who had fake ID and he's out in the parking lot. And when he hears what's going on, he actually shoots. He says he's exchanged fire and he didn't rush inside because he knew he could tell that he was massively outgunned. So he decided to stay outside and he called for backup. So now, and this raises a question, and I don't know which side uh, the court or the jury is going to view. I have no idea who's telling the truth. However, this lends the argument uh, to say there is no such thing as waiting for backup anymore. You now have to rush the incident. Forget about backup. That's gone. 
And uh, that changes policing completely. Uh, and uh, if if he's telling the truth and a jury says, we don't care, you should have rushed. Uh, and I can't imagine a jury doing that. I don't think that. they will. And he, ha- he has on its face a rational explanation for what he did yeah. and why he did it. And did he have a duty to go in? Does a security guard have a duty to go in See, and, rush, and rush a shooter? You get into a firefight and you immediately recognize you cannot possibly prevail. Tactically, doesn't it make more sense to call for backup and wait? Yep. Because otherwise, are you going on a suicide Yes. Mission? Yes. Yes. And how does that help? Compared well, to you, sta- then you become a le- either way, you're not going to be able to take the perp out right then. Then you become a legitimate hero if you rush. For example, that uh, high school uh, teacher who mm-hmm. uh, threw the soccer ball at the kids' right, head and, and who then and who, him. who actually uh, stood in front of the shooter, attacked the shooter, and he was shot three, four times and survived. I mean, that's a miracle that he survived. He is a genuine hero. And, I think and one Mateen was a little more heavily No armed. kidding. And I, I tell you, there's a reason why I'm not a teacher. Because I would throw the kids in front of me. Is it my Next. No, it's not. Don't know. Here we go. Okay. There's a hardware store owner in Tennessee who, A, doesn't know how to read Supreme Court decisions, and B, thinks it's okay to put back up his no gays allowed sign. If... Because of the oh sorry, I knew you were coming out of cake. Thank you. Because of the cake case, and he thinks, oh, the baker in in Colorado got a thumbs up from the Supreme Court for not baking the cake, which is not what happened. So I guess it's okay for me to put back up my no gays allowed sign in my yeah. hardware store. Which of course uh, the court is going to rule instantly when a lawsuit is filed. Oh yeah, down goes the sign. Uh, you can't do that, and you have to serve. Uh, gays. This happens to be a, uh, what kind of store was this? Here's the it's, store. Uh, it's Amex, store. which is his name, Jeff Amex. Hardware and roofing supply. I don't think you can do that. I no, of course you can't. You no, know, that's because you can't discriminate. Uh, just can't do it. So he totally misread it. You're absolutely right. Because the decision was based on a technical issue that the, uh, the Equal Rights Commission in Colorado had made. And we'll see what's going to happen when the next one are they deciding this week whether they're going to hear the the Washington State florist case? Yeah, I think so. Yes. And that is that is the, whether gays can be discriminated uh, or not, I think, on its face. Okay. Right. Uh, here's, yeah. this is, I love a happy story. A guy in Kansas turned a million-dollar lottery ticket over. So the guy's name is Cal Patel. His He was working at his parents' pit stop convenience store. And this guy who's a regular comes in, checks a couple of lottery tickets that he had bought, leaves the third one behind and leaves. So Patel goes, okay, cool, I'll check this ticket. And he goes, holy cow, it's a million dollars. So he leaves the store, drives around the neighborhood to find the guy, can't find him, goes out again to try to find him and finds him and says, dude, Mil- this is you your ticket. Million dollars. Million dollars. Yeah. He got off the short bus. No, oh, come on! And uh, who the hell does this? Here's the thing, though. Now I don't. I don't know if he was thinking about this, and I'm not trying to throw cold water on him being a nice guy. But I wonder if he somehow knew that if he took the ticket and got the million dollars, that's illegal. That's not his ticket. And but if they ever found gonna, out, but who's going to argue that? How would they ever find? Well, out? if the if the customer ever remembered, hey, I'm short a I ticket know, when I was in but there. But he would say that uh, because it's a million dollar win. 
And that's why. I think you'd be able to keep the money. Maybe it'd be a hassle or not. Oh, here's a, a lottery winner story that I just love. Yeah, this guy won uh, $19 million Super Lotto jackpot some years ago in 1998 here in California. Well, now he's been uh, sentenced to 33 months in federal prison for robbing banks. Yep, he went through every dime of it. Opiate, um, uh, of course, uh, bought, in, you know, invested in bad investments, uh, bought, you know, mama a house, whatever the hell they do. He had to give half of it to his ex-wife. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. So there went half of it. But and think then about but think bad about investments, taxes. Then he lost his job. He had a back injury. He got hooked on okay. opiates after he blew through the money. Okay, so now, uh, just I, I did the math with this. Uh, $19 million uh, after 40% taxes are taken, and that's California. This is At that point, it was about 40%. Uh, so that leaves $11 million. Investing that conservatively brings you a 5% return without touching the principal. It's five and a half, though, because he had to give half of it to his ex-wife. No, it was, so it turns out that he gets half of that. Yeah. So uh, 5% of $11 million uh, is $555,000 a year. That's which, just living off the interest. That's just living off the interest. Of I which, could do that. Exactly. Of which half goes to X. So now he only has $250,000 a year to live on. That explains the bank robbery. Uh, and that's how, if he had just put it away. But this happens to lottery winners. There's a curse of these lottery winners. It's crazy the number of lottery winners who go completely because, bankrupt. Because uh, they're not prepared for it. And uh, the problem is most people who are worth $19, 20000000 million have worked towards it. And they understand what money is. And a they didn't get went, it all. They didn't get it all like that. Right. It, it built up over time. Right. And they just have more responsibility. They get it. They're not going to go crazy and you know piss away all this much money, especially when you can have a quarter million dollars a year for the rest of your life. That would be nice. That would be nice. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, can I come back? Steve Gregory, who has interviewed Anthony Bourdain four times. Uh, I want to take his take on uh, those uh, those interviews. KFI AM 640. KFI handle here. It is a Friday morning. Uh, we woke up this morning to uh, some extraordinary news. Anthony Bourdain... I uh, had uh, hanged himself. Is that hanged or hung? Uh, it is hanged, technically, yes. And uh, if you're illiterate, I guess it's hung. And uh, we uh, obviously were covering this. I did a segment on this. And then uh, I was told this morning, I think Alex told me that it was Steve Gregory who interviewed Anthony Bourdain four times. And so, of course, we bring on Steve uh, because um, at this point, you're the expert certainly here at KFI. Good morning, Steve. Hey, buddy. How are you? Fine. Uh, so uh, when you interviewed uh, Anthony Bourdain, I'm assuming, of course, it was about his shows and what he was doing. Uh, describe what kind of a guy uh, he was when you were talking to him. In all the instances I talked to him, and, and let me tell you, the three times I spoke to him were on red carpets at the Emmy Awards. And the, the other time, which probably is the one I'll cherish the most, is when I sat down for a one-on-one -on -one with him at the Chateau Marmont there in, uh, in Hollywood. And we sat down in the little patio area for a little over an hour, 
and we talked about everything. And what I got from him, Bill, was that he's just the most gracious, most humble individual. He was, but he's intense. It's, it's really interesting because he's an intense person because he's been through a lot. Um, and he just was the nicest guy. And we had so much fun, and we talked about everything from immigration to, to, to fake chefs to, you know, all kinds of things. And he was just a really cool guy. Yeah, did you get uh, any information about his politics by any chance? Well, here we go. And, 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 you know, we'll lead right off with it. In Cut 7, this was something that um, I wanted to find out about because, you know, I cover immigration a lot. And, and because of the, you know, the amount of people working in the kitchens that come from other countries, I was, I was compelled to ask him about his views on immigration. What about the Mexican border? What about immigration? Because you, you, you talked about that in, one, in a couple, three different shows you make reference to immigration. Well, obviously I come from an industry where a huge, huge proportion of, of uh, the backbone of the industry are uh, Mexicans and Central Americans of, of, who at least began with dubious, uh, dubious uh, uh, paper. Um, I, I understand the fear and confusion um, uh, and, and strong emotions over, uh, you know, an inability to prevent people coming across the border. I get that. Um, I think there's room for honest disagreement there. You know, um, obviously we're going to have to do something, and I think there's a lot of room to have an honest difference of opinion on how severe we want to be. But what I strongly feel is that we should at least, as a baseline, let us acknowledge who is working in America now, who has been working for a long time, paying their taxes for the most part, staying out of trouble, and let's you know, I would like to do right by them, the people who've run the restaurant hospitality industry quietly and behind the scenes. All right, also, so, yeah, no, you can, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, all I was going to say is that he also had very strong opinions about people like Ted Nugent and, and Sarah Palin and the Tea Partiers and stuff like that. So he was all over the map when it came to opinion. Yeah, it was fascinating. He was, when you say he had uh, strong feelings about Sarah Palin and Ted Nugent, uh, which side of the coin was he on on that one? <laughs> Well, let's put it this way. He, he couldn't understand the Tea Partiers because he said, I don't understand why they're so angry all the time. And I had suggested that um, maybe he do a show where he goes to dinner with the Tea Partiers and he can, gives me this funny look and he says, maybe in a different life. Uh, okay, so the tea, so I'm assuming then he was not a big fan of Sarah Palin or Ted Nugent based on no. that conversation. Well, uh, he, he told me once about Sarah Palin. He says, I'd really like to have something to talk to her about. At some point, I'm going to have to have a discussion with her. Yeah, moose yeah. steak, I guess. Yeah, and and how and how you cook it. Uh, was he uh, was he aware of uh, the fact that he was a major celebrity and was known uh, I, I, certainly all over the Western world? Uh, was that part of his persona? No, he was the real deal. He didn't, he didn't take himself that seriously. Even when he achieved what he considered great fame on the CNN side, because when he started out on the Food Network, and he told me this, he said, you know, Food Network's been really good to him, but he wanted to explore other things. He wanted to get bigger, and CNN took this huge risk on him. And when they decided to do Parts Unknown, he said, all of a sudden, I'm working for this world news organization. And so he's got this high profile now, higher profile than he's ever had. But at the end of the day, he says, you know, I eat my food like everybody else. I, I kiss my children the way I, I do everybody else. And, and he said he was a very humble person. He was very low-key, never got excited about anything. And he was very honest and open about his past drug and alcohol abuse. And he was just, he was just an open book. He really was. Uh, was he drinking when you were talking to him? No. No, he was not. He had soda water. 
Oh, uh, good for him. Although, of course, he uh, he drank like crazy on his show. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, so there was no issue about that. Uh, when uh, did you talk about the technical aspects of uh, choosing where he goes, what to eat? You know, he said it was a collaborative process. He said this was something, you know, he had his own personal interest. Because at the time I spoke to him, and the one when we had our sit-down, at the time I asked him, where's some place you really, really want to go that you haven't gone yet? And he said Cuba. He wanted to go to Cuba while it was still under Castro rule. And he said every time they tried to organize a trip to Cuba, something happened at the last second, red tape or whatever, and it fell through. Um, you might recall and I don't know if you were a fan of his or not, but yeah, I've he, always been a fan of his. Yeah. So do you remember a show he did from Beirut? Yes. When he, right. And he that's my one of my favorite episodes. He he simply got over there to do what he always does. It was something about food and culture, and he ended up getting caught in in a civil war over there. And he had to be he and his crew had to be snuck out on a you know on like a military boat. And he said he didn't really know if he was going to get out of there alive. They got no sleep. So he he said at that point I got a taste a lust for wanting to tell more stories and people's stories. And that sort of drove him to, to where he went and the topics he chose. Did, did he talk about uh, regrets that he had? Because certainly in his writing, he uh, wrote about this, uh, that he didn't uh, move up the ladder in uh, the culinary world. I mean, this guy was a world-class chef, and he could have been a Wolfgang Puck. Uh, he could have been a Juan, uh, a, 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 a Oh, my God, one uh, Van Oh, geez, I just uh, lost it. But he could have been, you know, a major, major player, and uh, he gave that up. You know, he was very conflicted. He was an intense Juan guy. Andres. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. He was a very conflicted guy, and he was an intense guy. And in this cut here, cut number five, I, I, I asked him about his book, Medium Raw, because I wanted to know why he called the book Medium Raw. Now, listen to how he explains it. Kind of the self-deprecation, and here's uh, cut five. Well, medium raw is a non sequitur, and much like my my life. I mean, am I a chef? Am I a writer? Am I a TV guy? I mean, it's it's a kind of a nonsensical uh, thing. I mean, medium raw is a temperature that doesn't exist. You can't be one and the other, and I, I think it's a, a evocative of that ill fit that I feel every day. You know, who who am I? What is it exactly I do for a living? Uh, how dare I talk about chefs when I when it's been ten years since since uh, I've been in the kitchen? All right, uh, we could spend so much more time. Steve, thank you. You got it, my friend. All right, take care. Steve Gregory interviewed uh, Steve Bourdain. I mean, uh, oh, my God, my, my, my mind is going completely uh, crazy. Thank you uh, so much for that, Anthony Bourdain. All right, uh, coming up, uh, what's his face on uh, the Thomas Guide? Uh, Juan uh, Jorge John. John Thomas of the Thomas Guide. Uh, a little bit of politics, that's okay. K, I think this is KFI. KFI AM 640, and there is not Jennifer Jones Lee, right, Amy? <laughs> you are correct. Time for the Thomas Guide to All Things Political. John Thomas on The Bill Handel Show. Make California the Golden State once again. KFI Handel here. It is a, a Friday morning, uh, and uh, before we uh, check in with uh, John Thomas of Thomas Guide, uh, fun Instagram this morning. A little bit of politics and uh, a little bit of profanity, and in uh, John Thomas's honor, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Donald Trump, just a little bit. 
All right, John, we've been talking about the election, and let's go back. Oh, really? Because we never have enough to talk about when it comes to the president, who is at the G7 telling everybody to go pound sand, all the other leaders. Uh, But there's something going on. I want to get a little bit more big picture, and we were just talking about it. Something that's never happened before. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, Something yeah. Something that's never happened before. Oh, Try no, happens yeah. every Friday at this yeah, time, Go Bill. ahead, real quick. Free Movie Friday with Adam Tickets is back. They're giving away a free g- <laughs> Bill. <laughs> you just love this, don't you? They're giving you a chance to win free movie tickets, okay, Bill? Just this Friday and every Friday after that. Text them now. Text the word reporter. Uh, text reporter to the word uh, Adam1 for your chance to win. Standard data and text message rate supply. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just woke Thanks. up. All right. Now, uh, something has happened uh, in the world of presidential politics. It's never happened before. And uh, we'll just share. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Everybody's trying to read the tea leaves of, is there a wave election uh, for the Democrats? Is there not a blue wave? And it's hard to definitively say when you just look at the data. And because there are two statistics that are contradictory to one another. First of all, the generic ballot, which kind of measures the winds, the political winds or the direction of gravity, is kind of all over the map. Uh, It's been moving tighter and tighter and tighter until this week. You saw uh, you saw a couple reputable surveys from Fox News and others that show that Democrats have a nine point advantage or a six point. So it's really hard to make heads or tails. So you want to drill deeper into the numbers. There's two numbers that have statistically always shown whether or not the party in power is going to lose. And that's the president's job approval and the country's approval on how they think the economy is doing. Usually those numbers sync up relatively tightly. When the economy is doing well, they think the president is a good president. Not in this case. The president's approval, as we all know, is underwater. Depends on the district, of course. But overall, it's underwater. But the country gives great, I mean great marks for the economy. And so a lot of experts are basically saying they have no idea what's going to happen because are you are people going to turn out because they hate the president or are they going to turn out and, and vote their pocketbook? So is it fair to say if the economy tanks between now and the presidential, even now in the midterm, uh, it's over for, yeah, uh, for not only president, the Republicans too? That's absolutely a fair statement. I think what you're going to see is I still – this is – you know, in the era of Trump, it's it's very odd. But I think uh, our politics are odd. But I think what you're going to see is the same level of cognitive dissonance that people had in 2016 when they voted for Donald Trump, despite not liking, you know, majority of right. America not liking Donald Trump. I think if the Republicans remind voters that they're happy about their current financial and job uh, economic situation and they're optimistic about their pocketbook prospects, I think they can hang on. And uh, does it uh, matter that, uh, well, the president always gets credit no matter what. And uh, the reality of uh, Barack Obama having, uh, giving any credit to Barack Obama, notwithstanding any truth, uh, it's uh, the president who has created all of the jobs, yeah. uh, all the economy is uh, is basically he must be well, getting credit and, for. And, and that's how voters look at it, too. Okay, they look at it fair. So it's not the, just the, it's the, not just this. The guy in power got it gets gets all the credit or all the shame got just it. depends on it. You know, and so the, what I would advise if I were advising the Trump administration, I would say, look, are you guys probably going to hang on to the majorities, assuming the economy holds strong? Yes, you probably will. 
Do these congressional races need to be very savvy about the messaging uh, they use this cycle? Yes, because it is a little tricky given that uh, split in, in, in poll numbers. But really what Trump needs to do is he, if he can just bolster his personal approval ratings a couple points, that's it. It's game well, he's over. He's not very likable. I mean, he is but, cruel. He is. But here, but he's here, mean. Here's what it, I think it'll take. It'll take a win in North Korea. I think it's literally that simple. If he can achieve something meaningful between now and November, then his hey, approval ratings tick up a couple points, and now, Republicans. Is it, let's say something minor comes out of that, where there's an agreement to talk, or Kim Jong Un really doesn't give very much. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, is going to say it's the biggest win in the world. He, he'll he'll nominate himself for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Does that fly with his base no matter what? Yeah, his his base will will like that, but it's he has to get beyond the base if he wants to hold on to the midterms. Right. Got he it. has to he has to stop hemorrhaging with college educated whites. All right. And then lastly, uh, you have very good connections with uh, the Trump administration and have uh, since the election. Uh, do you think there's a good chance the president is going to pardon you? <laughs> yeah, he's like Oprah, you know, you get a pardon and you get a pardon. I think the president's figured out that, hey, some of these pardons that he's issued have been very popular. So, heck, <laughs> keep giving them out. Yeah, it's Even great. if you don't need a pardon. Right. Yeah, the Muhammad Ali. I want to pardon Muhammad Ali. Mr. President, there's nothing to pardon. I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> think you can pardon someone who ha- doesn't need a pardon. You can't. I don't know. I don't know how you do it mechan- technically. Because a pardon is signed by the president. So uh, who produces the paperwork? I don't know. <laughs> it's just bizarre. All it right. Uh, Bill, you've been sticking a paperclip up Donald Trump's nose this entire segment. You that's know that? true. Well, the Instagram, uh, that's true. Uh, the Instagram at Bill Handel Show uh, is Donald and uh, me. You got to see it. Yeah, it's worth it's uh, yeah, it's worth seeing. All right, John, we'll talk again next week. Thanks, Bill. And uh, there's so much more. All right, coming up, Foodie Friday, and uh, of course, uh, Anthony Bourdain is through a good part of the show. His suicide today. So I want to ask Neil, uh, what kind of influence uh, Anthony Bourdain had in the world of food? KFI AM six forty. What do I always say? Anyone can cook. If I really wanted to learn to cook, I could just cook my way through Julia Child's cookbook. You're a cook. You're a chef. This is what you've been cooking for years, and it works. It's Foodie Friday with Neil Saavedra on The Bill Handel Show. KFI Handel here. It is a Friday uh, news that we're covering today. The G7 Summit is going on right now, and uh, the... uh, President uh, is not very popular. I don't know uh, whether uh, the other six leaders hate him more than he hates them. Uh, and also, pardon Palooza. I've uh, asked John Thomas, who uh, is very connected to the Trump administration, if the president will, in fact, pardon me. Okay. Neil Saavedra, uh, the Foodie Friday man. And uh, Neil's show is 2 to 5 uh, every Saturday. Yes, sir. And uh, the various... Social media at Fork Reporter, and of course, uh, uh, here on KFI, KFIAMSecurity.com, keyword food report. Fork Report. Fork Report. I knew that. Okay. Hey, let's just move on. Uh, 
Obviously, the big story uh, that broke this morning, Anthony Bourdain found dead in his hotel room in uh, Strasbourg, France. Broke here about 4.30. It was afternoon already in uh, France. He was uh, shooting uh, an episode of uh, his travel series, Parts Unknown, 61 years old, and uh, he uh, committed suicide is the report we're getting. Uh, Neil, I want to ask about uh, his influence because obviously he was one of the world's uh, most well-known chefs, but he wasn't known as a chef. And he was a world-class chef in his own right, wasn't he? Yeah, here's the thing that's interesting. He, he really made a splash in 1999 when he wrote a New Yorker article called uh, entitled Don't Eat Before You Read Before Reading This. That became his best-selling book in 2000, Kitchen Confidential Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. Which was a great yeah. book. And the, the, uh, the kind of raw, brash honesty became a note that was not heard. I mean, everything in uh, from the back of the house and to all the things that take place in a restaurant were kind of, you know, the curtain was pulled back. And he became known for that. Now, I've never met the man and I've never interviewed him, which is strange because um, we share a lot of friends. There's a lot of acquaintances of his that I know very well. But because the nature of my show is to focus uh, not only on those types of folks, but to focus on your everyday chef, the people that are here in Southern California, that just because you have a big name or are super important doesn't mean that it's necessarily something I focus on during the program. Uh, So I've never had the honor of meeting him. And I've even on the program have talked about his harshness at times and uh, what the benefit of that is, or is it a benefit? And he's, but he's renowned. I mean, people love him. Chefs love him because of that honesty. And they felt like some, they gave, he gave them a voice uh, to complain about conditions of the kitchen, uh, the conditions of the overall uh, restaurant industry. And, and, and for that, they loved him, loved, loved, now, loved him. Was he regarded among chefs uh, as a cook? As a, chef, as a chef himself. Yeah, and somebody who had an outstanding palate, somebody who understood food. He not only understood food, but understood the story of food and understood the culture of food. And it, you will hear over and over again that he was a storyteller. And that's because he understood uh, the hearts and the minds of the person cooking the food and the hearts and the minds of the culture and the philosophy behind it. So everything was not only just the flavors there, but why the flavors were there. Um, he didn't he didn't seem to like pretense, um, yet he absolutely uh, bowed to those that deserved it and those that were had uh, come before him that did amazing jobs and chefs uh, that uh, humbled him at times, you could see on his program. And they don't always necessarily need to be someone famous. It could be an old woman in a small town that nobody knew about or a little village somewhere uh, in tiny parts of the world. But if they had that love and that dedication to food, he respected it and he spoke about it. What was his influence on uh, the whole food world? Oh, it was massive and it will continue to be. Uh, here, he was referred to as the, you know, the original Elvis of bad boy chefs. There was something about his edge that made uh, people like honesty. Now, I think sometimes honesty, border uh, people confuse cruelty or just meanness, hell, you've made a living out of it, uh, for honesty. But uh, I think that he had he had this kind of – people knew that if he said he liked you or he liked your food, it was came from an honest place. And I think that's powerful. And again, going back to the fact that he was a voice to the voiceless. There was a lot yeah. – there's a lot of people – everyone thinks these chefs are celebrity chefs. 
many, many, many chefs I meet are incredibly humble, incredibly shy. You don't think they, about that. They, you think they're egomaniacs. No, they don't want to be out. They just want to speak through their food. And here this guy comes and is this bridge between uh, the media and them. And I think they really appreciated that. I think they loved having somebody that spoke for them and defended them and stood up for them, but also called them on their crap as well. Is it fair to say uh, that chefs are, I won't say the word fungible, interchangeable, but there are a lot of chefs out there, uh, even though when you have the Thomas Kellers and the Wolfgang Pucks and the Juan Andres and, and those kinds of chefs, uh, they're not uh, in a class all by themselves that nobody else in the world is. Well, think about it And this Anthony way. Bourdain is. that. Absolutely. He stands out, and that's important because think about this. All these bands, let's say that we grew up with, right, and you hear them, and then there's certain members of the bands in some bands that are fungible. You could tra trade out the drummer with someone, trade out the bass player with someone. We've heard that before. But oftentimes the guitarist, the lead guitarist, the singer, you can't change those because they, their impression is so deep on the music, right? Well, similarly, there are chefs that just cook. And they, 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 they have good technique, and the food comes out the, uh, nice, and you eat it. Right. And then there's some that imprint themselves emotionally, intellectually, creatively, so deeply into the food that you can't separate them. And that's, okay. that's what makes somebody so powerful. Yeah, as you know, uh, on uh, the end of the month, uh, bucket list time, I'm taking my daughter Pamela, who's a real foodie, up to the French Laundry. Unless you get sick and, and have to have a dear friend of 20 years <laughs> take her, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to come back uh, with Neil and uh, talk about why you should or should not eat charcoal. Right right there. What a tease. Yeah. Briquettes. Yeah. How, you, how people eat briquettes and it's so good for you. Uh, we'll be back. KFI AM 640. And KFI Handle here on a uh, Friday morning. Some of the top stories we're covering. Of course, the uh, suicide of Anthony Bourdain. Uh, Neil Savader is with us. We just did an entire segment on his influence, and that's worth uh, uh, that is certainly worth uh, listening to on the podcast. And also, the G7 is going on right now. The summit where uh, Trump is telling uh, the other leaders of uh, the industrial industrialized world to go pound sand. Also, coming up on Saturday, June sixteenth, from nine to two o'clock is Law Day, twenty eighteen, at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana. Over 100 legal experts from HandleOnTheLaw.com will be there. Free legal advice in virtually every field of law. Talk to one, talk to 10 lawyers. I'll be broadcasting Handle on the Law live from 9 to 11 o'clock. And there'll be free seminars, prizes throughout the day. Log on to KFIAM640.com. The keyword is Law Day. Sponsored by Cunning Dental Looser Missing Teeth. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam and CT scan. Call 888-640-SMILE. Law Day, Saturday, June 16th at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana. All right, Neil, let's finish uh, Foodie Friday. And uh, I want to have you uh, talk about this story where uh, people are going to the store, buying a bag of briquettes, charcoal briquettes, grind grinding them up and eating them as appetizers. Uh, not exactly true. Close. You know what's weird <laughs> is what you just described could be a fad. Like, that's not even absurd. Even though you are being absurd, that's not that absurd when you've got people doing things with, like, 
Tide Pods and yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, this, but, but Tide this is different. This is not that bad. No, this is different. So uh, essentially, what's happening right now is New York went black, and the Department of Health said that they have to go back. Okay, explain so that, please. This is what happened. You have uh, a fad with activated charcoal, which is an ingredient that can get a very super black, dense, uh, deep, dark, uh, matte black into ice creams, into uh, pastries, into drinks. They put it in lemonade, into uh, pizza crust, and it makes it black. And the, Why wouldn't they use uh, squid ink, for example? Well, squid ink, although fairly neutral, does have uh, flavor so, to it. Some a very very light kind of briny okay. flavor, and it doesn't get as black okay. as it does in the, in the concentrate that this does. Now, there's also uh, a long line of belief that activated charcoal is healthy for you. Now, activated charcoal becomes, under uh, certain conditions, becomes like a sponge. And what ends up happening is it does absorb toxins. It's used for poison control. Right. Uh, they, they have you swallow these pills, and the, and the activated charcoal actually absorbs the poisonous yeah. uh, things. The problem with it is it doesn't know the difference between good things and bad things. So if you're consuming large amounts of activated charcoal, uh, it's such a good uh, it has such a good absorption, it can absorb nutrients as well, calcium, potassium, other vitamins. Also, if you are on uh, if, if you're on birth control and you and you take this after birth control, it can uh, eliminate what birth control is doing. It'll it'll keep it from being. Also, effective. it's it's all isn't it used for also odor odor control? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's so if you take if you ingest uh, charcoal, your farts smell fine. I, you know what? I'm, I have often wondered why you weren't a scientist instead of a talk show. Tell host. me that's not true. I, well, I don't know, and I don't want to know. I'm willing to bet there's all actually I, some validity that. All I know that. for sure, knowing you for as long as I have, is you've never ingested <laughs> this charcoal, apparently. <laughs> it's all I'm saying. Um, so the concern is, and you've got uh, some confusion as to this detoxifier is what they call it. Um, whether it's actually bad for you or not, or whether it's good for you. So some people claim that it's good for you because it's eliminating toxins. The concern of uh, many in the medical field is that it absorbs all kinds of things, including the things that I've stated, uh, dealing with calcium, potassium, vitamins, um, things found in milk, uh, different types of nutrients, but also that it, it can mess with your prescriptions. And you, it'll throw off your prescription. So they so, have but banned that's if it. You eat a lot. So, so they've banned all of it in New York City, right? They're, they're banning it as a food additive at okay. this point because essentially there's just not enough known about it. I don't think that uh, any everything I've read it's not unsafe for you in small amounts, but to have somebody consume this, especially if they're on medication, isn't uh, isn't smart. All right, Neil. Uh, Saturday. That's tomorrow from two Indeed. to five o'clock with the Fork Report. Yes, sir. You got it. All right. Thanks, uh, buddy. And uh, filling in for Gary and Shannon, uh, Brian Suits. Really more Shannon than Gary. Uh, yes. And you look a lot more like Shannon yeah. than you do Gary. Absolutely. He has that masculine glow that Shannon has. That's yeah. so true. Uh, so uh, on the menu today, Brian. Uh, Charles Krauthammer just released a letter indicating, you know you know him. The sure. Sure. Uh, he's dying in a few weeks. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll read. It's, it's Debbie Downer Friday, apparently. We'll... Also, TMZ with a, a fascinating interview just a few weeks ago, Anthony Bourdain uh, describing the deep depression that he would go into 
Uh, and then we're, we're finding out that evidently he just broke up with his girlfriend, Deja Argento. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the upcoming summit. And then the, the big group picture that they're going to be taking here at 10 a.m. Yeah, where uh, you know he's not going to be anywhere. I know. Near it'll be people. it'll be double bunny fingers for Trump <laughs> behind Macron and Merkel for sure. See right? what I'm doing? The rabbits uh, in French. Uh, that's pan. Yeah, that's uh, Brian suits. Sauce and pfeffer in German. Yeah. See what I did for, there? Yeah, no, it was, that was very very entertaining. I love it. I hate when you're more entertaining than I am. It drives me crazy. <laughs> that's called Tuesdays. Uh, hey, hey, hey and, uh, a lot of hate you got. Oh, uh, also. Uh, Instagram at Bill Handel Show. It's a fun one today, uh, and uh, the little politics, uh, uh, one or two profanities, and uh, little Billy the ventriloquist. <laughs> yeah, and the and his own dumb uh, uh, own dummy. Right. All right. Coming up, uh, Brian suits in for Gary and Shannon. You should Bri- do Dirty Handel on Instagram. Right. Uh, it's like all swearing. Yeah. Because uh, no be one's very ever funny. heard you swear. Uh, oh yeah, no one's ever heard me swear. All right, uh, Brian, have a good show. Yep. This is KFI AM. Oh, tomorrow, handle on the law. I forgot that. So, Brian, have a good show. Mm, KFI AM 640.